Hey guys and girls, welcome to Molecule to Market. As always, I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Urvesh Pandya, who is Managing Director at Allotrope Scientific. Urvesh is a really well-respected independent chemical development consultant. He helps companies connect the dots from concept to commercialization and everything in between. He's been in the sector since the 90s and has worked for many companies, uh, both on the CRO and CDMO side, and ultimately leading him to where he is today as an independent consultant, helping guide uh, clients and vendors, sorry, sponsors and vendors uh, through the process of of matching and, and, and selection. Listen out for his very honest view on being caught in the crossfire of, a, of an acquisition and, and being made redundant, which has happened twice in his career and how he had dealt with that uh, in a very positive way, which I think is, is really honest and refreshing. He also talks about the role of, of guiding drug sponsors in, in finding the right CRO and CDMO kind of partner and then how to get the best out of them as well. He's really, really interesting, uh, insightful, Guy, and it was also lovely to hear about his backstory from India to, to Europe and how that intertwined with uh, his wife's career, uh, both of them pursuing PhDs and careers in academia, whilst also a career in the industry. So clearly a very hardworking couple. So please leave us a positive rating as always and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Arvesh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Raman. I'm actually a keen listener to your podcast, so very glad to be on the show. Oh, that's, that's always good to hear. So thanks very much for being a listener, and I hope you're getting some value from from our guests. And obviously, it's great to have you on as a guest as well. And, and Arvesh, let's let's just start from from the beginning. If you can give our listeners a little bit about uh, you know your background and how you ended up doing what you do today, and a little bit about your journey from uh, you know, from from college, uh, which I believe is was in India, to to the UK where you are today, it'd be good to get that kind of uh, journey uh, to to our listener. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I think many of the people might find it surprising. I'm I'm well known for my chemistry, but uh, chemistry wasn't my favorite subject to be to start with. Uh, I think uh, long in the early nineties. And given the Indian background, uh, I'm the eldest son in my family, so there was a lot of pressure on me. To, uh, I'll be the earning member. Uh, wanted to do biology because uh, I had a very good biology teacher uh, <laughs> at my high school, and uh, but there weren't any biology jobs around. The, the main jobs were in chemistry, so I was forced to take chemistry. Uh, fortunately for me, as the college progressed, uh, I found good teachers and really liked it and uh, did well in my bachelor's degree and uh, in master's actually I I, I, I got a, a, a fantastic teacher who, who got me really interested in organic chemistry and that's where the things took off. Uh, master's is the kind of turning point probably of my life. I also happened to meet my wife in my master's uh, <laughs> and never looked back. Uh, so after the master's uh, uh, Again, as per the Indian background, we wanted to get married, uh, but couldn't afford to do the doctoral research together. 
So my wife started uh, her PhD first and I entered job market. Uh, I started my first uh, job at Torrent Pharmaceuticals in the process and the medicinal chemistry group uh, and got the first and experience of uh, chemistry, how it happens in industry. And uh, that is, I think, the foundation of uh, where I am today. Uh, it helped me very much to actually do a lot of chemistry at different scales. I've, I've, at, at Torrent, I took things from lab to kilo lab to actually pilot plant and manufacture. And uh, early in the 90s in India, we didn't have, I mean, I think internet came maybe after I start, I finished my tenure at Torrent. So with very limited information, we, we had to do a lot of chemistry, develop things. Um, uh, so it was mainly like, you know, theoretical concepts, uh, so strengthening my chemistry knowledge, uh, a lot of observation during the chemistry and everything. And that solid grounding actually helped me take uh, lots of processes from the lab to the plant. Uh, and, and, and that was a very, very good tenure. Um, but I actually left that job uh, because I was determined to do my PhD. So once my wife finished her PhD, I went back into doing my PhD. I left my job. I was I was one of the highly paid there, but uh, I, I was determined to do my PhD. So yeah, went back to PhD. But uh, the experience at Torrent really helped me out with my research work as well uh, during my doctoral studies and uh, wanted to explore uh, how things happen outside India. And that's how we started. Uh, so we both started looking for postdoctoral research. My, my wife uh, went in France. I got my postdoc first in US. Uh, so I was in US. Um, and in US, actually, the project changed after I think the funding wasn't granted uh, for which I was awarded the postdoc. So they still hired me. But I was on a different project and I, I didn't quite really enjoy because it was mainly very little of synthetic chemistry and more of um, kind of biology side. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's sarcastic that I actually enjoyed biology once upon a time and then I turned into a chemist <laughs> and I didn't enjoy a lot of biology then. And then I got an opportunity in France, uh, totally synthetic work. So went back to France, joined my wife. Uh, and did my postdoctoral research and we decided, oh, well, we'll go back to India and set up our own academic groups and uh, live ha happily ever after. That was the kind of story. Uh, once we went back to India, we actually found it quite difficult having worked in the West to settle back properly in India, do more research. Uh, I actually went left my job, uh, my, my postdoctoral work in France where my, my supervisor wanted me to continue, but I, I had an interview with the university uh, to become a lecturer and set up my own group. And when I landed back in India, they postponed the interview or canceled the job. So I took up a job in industry straight away. I mean, I was most welcome there because people knew me from my tenure at Torrent. Uh, enjoyed a, a very good stay at Sun Pharmaceuticals, uh, one of the best companies in India. But again, just like I did for my PhD, I, I left Sun Pharmaceuticals, uh, which was highly paid to get back into the academic job, which I was chasing, only to find out that uh, it, it wasn't as easy. I mean, I was hoping to start up my own lab and facility straight away. Sun Pharma actually sent me off from Sun Pharma in good terms, in good books, with a truckload of equipment and uh, facilities to start my lab. And uh, I have... The university wouldn't let me bring those things in. I probably still have some of it 
back home <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in india uh, uh, so it was difficult i mean the, the, it wasn't the same as what i anticipated uh, that we i mean I, i was informed we couldn't start research until five years we had to just do teaching and everything and that wasn't what i wanted to do i really wanted to do research and and develop something uh, and that was the reason that okay we decided we'll move back to the west and we came back to the uk uh, I, and again started everything from scratch so starting be- back from postdoc so i i got my postdoc at imperial uh, and my wife got a postdoc in term uh, again we were living separate so uh, we were trying to see if we can find jobs somewhere near to each other either she moves south or i move up north uh, and i actually found a job up north in onyx and moved and then i've been here since then so that found stability finally uh, so that's a long story like i <laughs> pushed my careers uh, as much as i could uh, actually even though i was married myself and my wife we didn't stay together for 14 years uh, just pushing each other's career and it was finally in durham where we started living together and uh, i've continued uh, here since then uh, at onyx i was doing uh, really well uh, i had lots of customers where i developed uh, new molecular entities uh, for customers for the initial preclinical trials and initial scale up uh, some of the notable things i did there was i completely re- revamped the synthesis i actually shortened one of the synthesis from uh, eight steps to four steps uh, came up with new suggestions of uh, completely different ways uh to build up molecules uh, and scale them up uh, some of which were actually patented uh, mm-hmm. by my customers even though within the CRO CDMA environment all the IP belongs to them but they put me down uh, as the inventor that was very kind of them uh, after a successful stint at Onyx it was nearly six years um, I wanted to grow higher up in in uh, in my career and uh, Onyx being a small firm there weren't many opportunities at time at that time so I moved on I mean my actually I had a good boss at Onyx as well he advised me that you know you have got to find somewhere where it's a startup and probably mm-hmm. grow with the firm and uh, that's what I found I I started my role with Plaxica in the, again in the northeast uh, in Teesside uh, and I there it was a fascinating four and a half years uh, I developed technologies chemical technologies to convert biomass into useful chemicals like basic fragments uh, C3 C4 C5 C6 fragments from waste into completely usable items uh, I started with an empty lab actually when I joined it was just a lab and fume cupboard and then I took every steps to build up the lab build up the team uh, actually developed uh, the technology Plaxica had to offer three technologies out of which uh, I developed two and I'm the uh, sole inventor on many of them uh, and 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 took it and, and and then demonstrated one of the technology and one of the technology was continuous so we demonstrated it in house uh, and then we were we were planning to build a license package to actually market the technology and in doing so actually a big paper and pulp company where we had a lot of synergies with how our technology can be integrated with theirs they actually bought the company itself mm-hmm. uh but that unfortunately resulted uh, 
in my job being made redundant because SAPI had its own R&D centers and everything. So they said, well, well we don't need R&D. So I was looking, okay, what next? And <laughs> and that's how I ended up with ASICA. Um, ASICA, I stayed nearly five years. Uh, it troubleshooted many of the manufacturing problems. Uh, uh, starting as, the, again, ASICA had been through a buyout and there the R&D department was being cut uh, and I was appointed again to to rebuild the R&D department. So something which I did at Plaxica, I did again at Essica, got uh, three, four new projects, uh, took one of them all the way, I mean, uh, to, to, to develop the process, to scale it up to the Kilo Lab and then validate it on a pilot plant scale. Uh, also being a manufacturing side, there are quite a few challenges to be solved from problems from manufacturing perspective. And eventually, Recifa became, uh, when the buyout, uh, the first buyout was from ACCA to Consort, then Consort sold ACCA to Recifarm. Mm -hmm. And after the Recifarm buyout, again, same kind of history repeated itself. Um, Recifarm thinks that as a big group, they have their R&D sites at uh, different places in within Europe. And they didn't need to repeat uh, R&D facilities, but want to keep ASICA as a manufacturing facility. So again, there was a restructuring uh, and resulted in my role being made redundant as I was heading the development or the R&D activity and everything. So I thought, okay, this is the time now. I mean, after my first redundancy, I always thought of starting something my own, uh, but didn't dare to it at, at, at when I was made redundant from Plaxica. But... At Recifarm side, I said, well, I, I definitely should do this. And this is where I am now. So I've started my own consultancy, uh, offering my services basically from R&D all the way to commercial manufacture, because that is my experience. All these years, I have done R&D work. I've done process development and scale-up work. I've done process design. I have actually done commercial manufacture, taken the molecules to the market. So I offer the full full spectrum of uh, development services from concept to commercialization. Very good. Well, thanks, for, thanks for that kind of uh, overview of your, your background. I was fascinated to hear the kind of intertwining of uh, the, your career with your wife in terms of your PhD and, and uh, you know, and obviously working and developing your careers as well. And I'm, obviously I'm slightly biased, but it's great to hear that you settled in the Northeast of England, yes. <laughs> where I'm obviously from as well originally, so um, it, it's a it's a great part of the the world. And and I wanted to, to ask a, a couple of I mean I love what you said as well about the, uh, the irony and and wanting to do biology. And now you're very well known in the sector for um, you know for your chemistry knowledge and, and expertise. And the market is quite. Um, I think we see in the market at the minute more and more consultants, and there's there's always been a presence of consultants in the outsourcing space, both on the uh, on the sponsor drug development side and on the the vendor side as well. So, I think for for our listeners, it might be quite useful to talk about, I suppose, your role as a consultant. Are you there to advise drug development sponsors in terms of? Uh, you know, utilizing the vendors and getting the best out of their vendors, or or the other way around, or maybe maybe a combination of both. It is ideally a combination of both because uh, currently I have customers whom I am actually 
guiding the customer so that they get the best out of the vendor. Mm-hmm. But I have another customer as well where we are actually developing a breakthrough technology which we can supply to the vendors to improve the processes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's both. Uh, but in general, what I've seen is the demand is more from the, for you know for me to advise to a customer that okay they are getting the best out of the vendor, mm-hmm. and and there is a, a, a big growth. Uh, within the sector where there are lots of virtual companies. They have like, you know, spin-outs from academics and everything. They are good at biology. They, they are good at, okay, discovery. But the, the game of after discovery to making it to the market is completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and that is where there is, I found that it's, it's a gap within the industry. There are many companies who do it. But if you go straight away to a CDMO, what I found is CDMO. Yes, it's got, it's not it's it's just another project for them. Mm-hmm. It's it's not bespoke services. Uh, so sometimes consultants are really helpful when they need to pinpoint that you know this is the best for them for mm-hmm. for their. It's, it's even though I, I'm I'm not trying to criticize CDMO. Uh, there is you know when having worked in CDMO and CRO environment as a chemist myself, there is a lot going on on that chemist. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the capability to kind of think outside the box. So, you know, there are so many things going on at the same time in a limited time because everyone is in a rush. Yeah. But sometimes it's necessary to step back. And this is where a consultant's experience comes in to say, okay, you know, because we are not involved in the day-to-day things, mm-hmm. we can we can guide them properly. Uh, and I'm, I'm seeing good results. I'm seeing good results there. And what if, you know, so, so let's say a, a you know, specialty pharmaceutical or an emerging pharma company, uh, you know, asks for your assistance in helping them kind of guide them from discovery to presumably, a, you know, a phase one trial, say, for, yeah. for example, what, what does, what do you look for in a CDMO, right? So if, if, for example, you know, if you're advising that company where they might not have, uh, they may have some experience in dealing with with the outsourcing space, but I'm just curious, and I'm sure our listeners are curious to you know what type of factors do you take into account uh, when when searching for and then selecting the right type of uh, CDMO for for a particular client? Yeah, it, it it comes down basically. I mean, as I say, when when we are designing a process, and this is what I always guide to to my customers that. If you involve process design perspectives early on on the synthesis, then you have a good chance of developing a molecule and, and flying it smooth through from either just to one CDMO. You don't have to do a lot of tech transfers because someone will do a kilo and then someone will do the 100 kilo rather than that, trying to keep it. And the main thing will be what what is the equipments and facilities uh, do they have? Can the process be a good fit? So that is the main consideration because no one's going to build a new plant unless, I mean, yes, we, at Plaxica, we built a new plant, mm-hmm. but not everyone is willing to do that. So the process has to be designed. So to the customer, I generally kind of know who has what kind of facilities so that their process can be applicable to most of the CDMOs. 
And then to CDMOs, like, okay, what kind of reactors, facilities, utilities they have? Can they handle this kind of process and this kind of chemistry? And where the things match, that is the one where the process generally goes. Uh, obviously, there are other bits you need to look into, like, you know, uh, like the timelines and availability and uh, method development and other things. But the mm -hmm. core bit will be around, you know, how, how does the chemistry fit? Because each chemistry is different for each molecule. And each step requires different kind of chemistries. Some require cooling, some require distillation, some require different kind of filtration, some require phase separations. I mean, I'm just speaking general things, but mm -hmm. not every CDMO has every facility. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right, and it's it's. I like what you said there about looking for the right match, right? Like effectively, that's what it is: is trying to find the right fit between what your client is looking for and what what the vendor offers. And I had one other follow up question from your your kind of introduction, and it's just something that I've seen a lot since I've actually moved to the US. Is the facilities that I visited where there seems to be a lot of Indian chemists. So. Yes. Uh, and actually, the more I think about it, the more I think I've actually seen probably there's a greater proportion of Indian chemists in a lot of early CRO type facilities. I, is that a cultural thing? Is that is is that a is is there a prestige associated with being a chemist, working in a lab, or anything like that? I'm just curious to know where that comes from, or is it you know to you know that there's always a science job so so you know so parents send their kids to do a chemistry degree what's your take on 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 that in india especially before india signed the gat agreement but i think after that it's doing as well there was you know there was people could just manufacture you know even something so I said, probably i was working on something which was patented by the west in 1990s but still, we were okay to produce it. Uh, but since then, I think uh, things have changed. Uh, IP is respected very much, uh, and uh, the 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 GATT the GATT agreement was signed uh, by I think it was after ninety five or ninety eight, and then you know product patent came in and everything. But because of the earlier phase, there was so much of chemistry work pharmaceutical kind of just exploded and i think in the 95 to 2000 era a lot of outsourcing activities also started mm -hmm. which actually gave uh, indian chemists a lot of things i mean you know at that point of time there wasn't a lot of internet i think internet started around 95 to 2000 i mean big cities had it small places didn't have it but after 2000 internet just exploded but between that period, because of the outsourcing, a lot of chemistry knowledge came in and people mm -hmm. started doing well. And that that actually influenced. Uh, chemistry was good anyway, uh, but because of this, it, it there wasn't kind of an exponential growth in the chemical zone or the mm -hmm. chemical industry. So like Gujarat and uh, Andhra Pradesh, two, two of them are kind of hubs for pharmaceutical. India is actually quite a big hub for generic pharmaceutical. Mm -hmm. And, and and that is why people like you know people take chemistry and they are guaranteed a job. So that's one of the thing. <laughs> but the, but it is it's it's a lucrative uh, area of work, uh, and a lot of academic departments also kind of started offering organic chemistry, which is the core for for this kind of activity. So that is what is causing 
a lot of chemistry work and research in India and, and it's easier for like people to find uh, jobs. So I think that's the reason. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And I, and I wanted to touch on, a, I suppose, a, a little bit of a sensitive top subject, but I suspect a lot of our listeners might have been in the situation that you have found yourself in in the industry where there's uh, an acquisition or a merger of some description and you know in two times in your career you found yourself <laughs> um victim of uh synergy or whatever the whatever the word is um that, that you know bringing companies together and there's duplication of uh you know of, of skills and for you know for whatever the reason is that your skills are not then needed within the business so I'm I'm just curious to get you know if if there was a listener either in that situation or about to be in that situation, what what advice would you give that particular individual? And also, link closely to that. In the most recent uh, occurrence of this in your career, you took that as the sign to to start your own business and and utilize the incredible experience that you've got. So, any advice on? you know, for, for anyone out there and also just interested to know why at this particular juncture you decided that's it, I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the great question. Thank you. Uh, definitely would like, I mean, uh, for in both the cases, I think I really appreciated what happened because uh, in case of Plaxica, I can see, you know, the result of what I did. Uh, yes, it, it, it reflects impacted uh, on my job but I was really happy to see that you know something I've developed is now going to be industrialized I mean all the patents are still in my name obviously I've handed them to Sapi but yeah it's it's good to see and and, and in recent one like Recifam I think mm-hmm. that is the the best thing to happen to Asica I'm still a very big believer of Recifam um, and, and, and the way the restructure was happening I completely agree with them uh, so I, I generally keep a positive attitude and I'm, I'm, I'm naturally an optimist person. So anyone in my situation, it may sound that, oh, what's going to happen? But generally good things happen. I mean, there are lots of jobs around. There are lots of chemistry jobs. Mm-hmm. Once you, have, you are in a position where you have done so much of work, I'm, I'm sure if you keep your mind open. I mean, for me, I was fortunate enough I was being offered another head of R&D role in T side. But before that, I already had some contracts for my consultancy and I had to turn down that role. So it's not that jobs are not there. If you're really good, jobs mm-hmm. will be there. Uh, and and be, be open to kind of relocation if needed. I think the, the big thing which might push back people is like, okay, I'm not going to move out of the Northeast or I'm, I just want something here. Then you might have to wait. Mm-hmm. and be ready to wait uh, but jobs are, will be there uh, and and there are other things you can definitely try out you know uh, there's i mean this, nowadays people call it the gig economy mm-hmm. so there's a lot of work out there um, once you are an experienced chemist there is a, there is a lot of chemistry work out like small kind of pieces that even if you start about consultancy great i can advise them get in touch with me but uh, there is like you know 
there are uh, things like Upwork or Gig Now or something. They have so much of small pieces of work that will keep you going, mm-hmm. that you you can you can bid for uh, and keep you going. So I wouldn't. Yes, I can understand at that point of time you feel frustrated. Oh, what's going to happen? But everything happens for a reason, and it will turn out to be good. That mm-hmm. that would be my advice. It's 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 quite fascinating actually. In all the interviews that I've I've done on on the podcast, not I think that's the first time. Say uh, Upwork or any of the what I class as the the freelance market platforms has come up. They're very common in the creative and marketing world that that my my business. Uh, operating in that you know if you want a freelancer for a particular job but what's been quite fascinating over the last year or so just just seeing more scientific people on there offering their services has been quite fascinating so the kind of gig economy isn't just for the kind of creative services but also uh, you know the the chemical industry the biotech yeah. industry the pharmaceutical industry really really interesting yeah. and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see if that continues to to grow in the next few years where people are decide to do their own thing and where do they get work from and companies search for suppliers in, in a more digital manner, which is really quite fascinating. And I wanted just to rewind back to, um, you worked for Onyx Scientific for many years and, you know, and Onyx are, you know, I'd say one of the most respected CROs, uh, you know, like small scale CDMO, CRO. Oh, completely in, agree. Completely in in agree. the world. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating, you know, we, a lot of really good people have come from Onyx, and uh, you, know, you know, I've had the fortune of knowing Denise there for for many, many years. And uh, you know, it's they're they're a fascinating company because it was interesting what you'd say. You know, they're they're a relatively small business in the grand scheme of things, but they do have a stellar reputation. And it sounds yes. like you you really uh, really developed as a chemist there, and you were given the opportunity to flourish, which ultimately gave you the platform to go on to do to do great things, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's what I certainly read from your experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I have remained in good, good books of Onyx and, and they have remained in good, good books with me. I I really (laughs) appreciate Onyx. I think if I had to recommend Onyx, I would, I would just straight away recommend anyone, uh, a good bunch of people, uh, get, they'll get the things done. Uh, yeah yes it's, it's good uh, i'm still in touch with derek denise uh, jules uh, quite a few all of my friends i mean we haven't met recently because of the lockdowns but i'm yeah. still in touch with many of them yeah they're a they're a they're a great bunch and uh i'm i'm curious to get your thoughts on do you you know just following on from in talking about the role of consultants and uh you know the boom of these kind of uh, gig economy platforms do you do you think we will see more and more consultants in the market in the next few years, or do you think it's a relatively saturated place? Um, but obviously, you get consultants that retire and you know leave gaps in the market. But I'm just curious because presumably you you know you did a bit of research to see what else was out there, and and I'm just also interested how do you how do you differentiate right as a as a consultant because it's a you know, your, if I've understood, obviously your chemistry expertise is, is phenomenal, uh, but you're still quite broad in terms of end to end. So any, any insights on how you, you know, what you think about the consultant space and how you differentiate yourself in, in that space? Yeah, uh, I think that space is going to remain steady. I don't think it's, it's, you can't grow too much because I mean, someone has to do the work. 
So you can't have all the consultants at the same time. Uh, someone still needs to do the job. And the main thing is, you, you can't, I mean, I've seen some people start consultancy early on. I have a few examples, uh, but you need to have something really strong because when you're marketing yourself, especially in consultancy, you are, you are marketing your intellect. Mm-hmm. So until you build that reputation, it's going to be difficult. Uh, something like Upwork is completely different. Mm-hmm. You just need a degree and some experience to say, well, I mean, uh, can you do this? It's a small piece of work. And generally, any PhD chemist or someone would be able to do that. Yeah. But for for like, if you're, I'm, I'm more talking of like uh, my current projects where I'm actually taking a discovery molecule to phase one, phase two. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things, you really need to have that kind of experience. So once you have that experience and, and you feel confident and ask people around, would they recommend you or not? I mean, it, so far I found is most of this work is through recommendation. Mm-hmm. So if you have a network and if you find that people really trust you, you have a good name, then yes, you, you can definitely start. Uh, that's yeah. There's no problem with that. But not everyone can just all of a sudden become a consultant because then otherwise, who is going to do the lab work? <laughs> so <laughs> so there is there is a balance. Uh, I, I'm not kind of discouraging anyone, but uh, yeah. I always say, I mean, many of my teammates whom I've mentored, I've said that, you know, I mean, I haven't got it myself, uh, but I, I say that, you know, go for RSC, like CKM or something like that. And eventually in, in 10 years time, after 10, 15 years of experience, if you want to become a consultant, CKM will help you. I'm, I'm thinking of CKM myself because I've started it, but this is the advice I, I was giving to my, uh, my subordinates or my team members when I had, and I think three of them are going to get their CKM about next year. That's good. Very good. And let me, let me ask if, if you could go back and give your 25-year-old self some advice, uh, Arvesh, what, what would you say? Uh, yeah, the, the, the most difficult bit I found is I think uh, uh, I pursued my career so much. I mean, uh, and then I had to start everything from scratch in the UK. So I almost lost 10 years of my experience. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not saying people not to follow your careers, but just keep an eye that you don't lose your past. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. That's really interesting. And, and and how would your best friend describe you in in three words? Uh, he would say hardworking, uh, whimsical, introvert. <laughs> <laughs> very good. It's very, You don't strike me as an introvert because you, you obviously articulate yourself very well and uh, you know, very confident. And I'm guessing in the world of being a consultant, you have to be well networked and meet people. So it's an interesting uh, word. And and just just for the last five minutes or so, I wanted to talk about the um, the the outsourcing space generally. Uh, any trends and kind of market shifts that we're seeing. Uh, anything that you've seen happen as a result of COVID. I think particularly given your position through the lens of um, you know what if you're seeing an uptake in the outsourcing space different types of projects how the selection process is evolving for for contract service companies um you mentioned something interesting about you know the power of reputation and 
um, and, and word of mouth as well. So any general trends that you think are listeners would find of interest would be would be much appreciated yeah i think i mean uh, covid has actually had put in a lot of interest in the biologics manufacturing uh unfortunately i don't have much experience uh, on the biologics side but definitely that has increased uh, a lot of use and throw kind of you know single use equipment and everything uh and and lots of CDMOs are getting into there, and I'm I'm getting a lot of inquiries on that side. Unfortunately, I had to turn them down. On the drug substance or more the chemistry side of the market, uh, I would I would just go back to my being inside CDMO, for example. If I was inside the CDMO, I had to turn down quite a few projects because well. Oh, it doesn't fit. Uh, we don't have the necessary kit, or we don't have the necessary equipment. So there is a there is there is a lot of activity going on on who can manufacture what, and 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 I'm currently working with someone to say that you know can we actually build a more flexible industry four kind of facility, which is which is more open to take different types of chemistry, uh, but. And, and and for potents as well, that is another one. I think there is an increase in potents capacity and not a lot of people uh, are able to do that. So from from my experience, the big pharma companies are kind of uh, outsourcing non-potent work, keeping the potent in there because it's a small money, small amount of manufacture. They can do it in a different way if they had to build a small plant or something. They have it, and uh, the non-potent work, uh, or once the it's going to get to generic or something, they they're trying to outsource it to elsewhere, which there is a lot of that kind of facility. You know, there, there is a plethora of CDMOs who do. I mean, it's it's not the right way to say it, but there are lots of pots and pans around. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, not many people have niche. Um, so if someone's looking for a specific thing the the trend would be to have a modular plant a flexible plant and the more data that you can collect at the same time not uh, no i mean there is a lot of investment gone into manuf- manufacturing plants in the early 70s 80s 90s maybe around 1990 to 2000 but then no one's investing in building a new plant and they try to get the best out of the plant they have so yeah. That is where the limitation comes in that, you know, and the chemistry has evolved very far. Like you can do fantastic things, but then, oh, we can't do this on an industrial scale. So there is a little bit of gap there. So someone who wants to invest, yes, there is a potential of investing into certain things uh, which can give the flexibility to manufacture in a modular way. I think uh, the biologics has adopted that very quickly compared to the chemistry side. And for the chemistry ones, unfortunately, it will still have to remain who has which capabilities. Mm, that's interesting. And and uh, just a quick follow-up question there. I was really intrigued by your um, comment around the kind of modular, flexible uh, plant. And I'm guessing those types of facilities and those types of capabilities are better suited to, say, smaller drug development buyers rather than say the big pharma buyers or is it is it a combination of big pharma companies looking for the flexible and modular type like plants as well i th- i think the big pharma companies are already into it 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the CDMOs who have not entered that kind of things. I mean, bear in mind, uh, this is, I'm talking up about a wide space. Say, say, for example, if you go back to our example of Onyx, or even when I was previously at Recifam Asica, the kilo lab was quite flexible. We could just move the reactors in and out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case when you go into manufacturing. You can't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't change your ton reactor and everything. And so it, it's, it's that space. That yeah. space has to be more flexible. And some are doing it. I mean, I think uh, the big pharma are are building something. I know AZ is building a modular plant uh, mm-hmm. and some continuous facility, but not all of them. Not all of them. It's fascinating. Well, well, uh, Avesh, thank you so much for taking the time to to you know for being a guest on Molecules of Market. It was great to to meet you and get your insights. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best with your new venture it already sounds like it's off to a very positive start and i'm sure uh, people will be very interested to connect with you on on linkedin and uh, and find out more about you so thanks thanks for being a guest on the show it's a pleasure thank you very much for giving me the opportunity thank you thank you bye hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.